I'm Beth. And I'm Leslie. And welcome to Quince. A little sweet. A little tart. And a little unexpected. It's Monday, September the 7th, 2015. And the word of the day is... Story. I love that word. And that's a favorite word if you're a mountain person. Now, why is that, Leslie? Well, we're all about stories. When um, I was doing some research for the um, Rock Castle Project, which we'll probably talk about again and again, I found a story that my grandmother had told. And when I went to verify it, the person it was about left the area five years before my grandmother was born. Oh, no. But she talked about this woman as if she knew her. And that's what story is. I will tell stories about people in the area that have been passed down. And they were people I never knew. Absolutely. Yep. And I don't know if it's like that other places or not. But mountain people have long memories. Well, think about stories have been the language of people from the very, very beginning sitting around the fire, entertaining, talking about the hunt. Yeah, and I guess religion. Yes. A lot of religions were passed down before they were written down. And that's why a lot of religions, for example, talk about the virgin birth. I mean, there are so many different ones way, way, way before the birth of Christ. So that was a common theme for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. Yeah, yeah. Comparative mythology used to be something I was really into, but I kind of let it go over the years. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, story is an important thing. And I think we should tell our stories. I think everybody has a story. Absolutely. And I think we should tell a story about each one of us. Okay, that. how about you start, Leslie? Okay, well, I was thinking I should tell the story of how I became a, a fiber buried to my elbows in sheep stuff uh, person. And it started with three rabbits back in 1999. Is that right? So prior to that, you had not Not really. Been... Yeah, I, I played around with the idea and I tried to learn to spin when, uh, from the girls over at Mabry Mill, and I was allergic to the wool. I broke out in hives. Oh. So um, I had to let that go. And then I learned to spin with my dog's hair when I was living in Maine. Maine is a lovely place, but if you're a southerner and all your people aren't there, and the winters are cold and long and lonely. Mm. So I had this dog that copiously shed lots of hair so I learned to spin his hair with a potato and a pencil. Really? Yeah, as a um, drop spindle. Uh And then when I came back, my mother, um, well, I worked for a few years and then my mother gave me her her grandmother's spinning wheel. So your great-grandmother's spinning wheel. Yeah. And it still works. It's well, we had played with it as kids and it was really rickety, but I got it. I got it so it would spin and I got it so I could make yarn. And in the meantime, I discovered the internet. And so I had a, a I bought some wool from a lady and she sent it to me and I didn't break out. I'm not oh. sure why not, but um, I was able to spin it. And then I got interested in all this stuff and then I found these Sherman Angora rabbits from Icy Spots Farm. 
Now, who was he? Yeah, she was in Greensboro. She... Uh -huh. Her name's Mary Ellen Hansen. And um, I bought three rabbits from her and fell in love with these German Angoras. They're massive, gentle rabbits. And you give them a haircut with a pair of scissors every 90 days. Wow. And so that was fun. In the meantime, in the meantime I was working. And um, eventually I started selling the rabbits, the babies. And I would go all over the East Coast delivering rabbits. I went as far as Michigan. Oh my goodness. Uh -huh. Are rabbits as prolific as legend has them? They could be if you put them together. Right. <laughs> but if you keep okay. them in separate cages, it's not as uh, not as likely. Okay. And you have to keep them in separate cages if they're angoras because you don't want to mess up the wool. The primary thing is the wool. Right. Yeah. So every 90 days you give them a haircut. So in the meantime, I met this guy, and he was all into books and um, autographs and all kinds of stuff. And I love to sell stuff. My main thing is to sell. He liked to buy and collect, and then I would pull things out of him and make, let, let him, or get him to let me sell them. And so we opened up a shop up here on the corner, and we called it Greenberry House. And that lasted a few years, and then he passed away, and my landlord passed away at the same time. So um, I moved in with my sister-in-law for a while, and then I moved to another place for a while. And then I moved back in with my sister-in-law for a while, and then I've moved here. And I'm not going to move no more. All right. <laughs> you have settled in and made this such a lovely shop. It's, it's a lot of fun, and I'm very comfortable here. I love this place. I think I've already said this was the family home place. And it's been in the family for four generations. And I just love this house and love being in it. And I have room to work and then people come and see me and it's just lots of fun. The dogs get to come and stay. And I'm open from uh, April to about November because the weather gets kind of icky after November. And then I go home and I make yarn all winter and then I sell it all summer. That sounds like such an idyllic life. It is. And, you know, it's uh, at the place I like in Meadows of Dane. Now, what's your story? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> of course, we all have a whole lot of stories. But I was thinking about maybe what had made, turned me into an adventurous-some person. Okay. Well, back when I was 15, 16, growing up in a small town in the middle of West Virginia, all I could think about was getting out. I think a lot of teenagers oh, go a lot through of teenagers that. Feel that way. Yes, and this was back in the early to mid 1970s. And there wasn't a whole lot of options, yeah. uh, at least to do it right. I, I didn't want to run away. I had no cause to do that. Um, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know, we never had an exchange student leave from our high school. We had had a couple over the years who had come from other countries. So I went to the uh, local Rotary Club, and several of them, uh, the president at that time, sat in the pew behind us at church, so I'd known him my whole life. So I, I called and asked if I could have an appointment and walked down to his house 
one evening after supper and I said, Mr. Sharp, why does the Rotary Club here not have an exchange program? And he said, we've never had anyone who wanted to go. And I said, well, would you consider me? And he said, absolutely. If you can get through the district level, all the interviews, then we'll send you. I said, all right, you've got a deal. So I went through all those interviews and what have you. And I got to pick three countries. And you don't know which one that you'll go to. And I picked Australia, Sweden, and the Netherlands. Now, I have no idea what would have happened had I ended up speaking, having to speak Swedish or Dutch. <laughs> but I got to learn Aussie, the good I mate. You know. And the funny thing was, I got a letter from my host club. And they said, oh, we're a town called Mundaring, up in the hills above Perth. So, here I am, this 16-year-old child, and I'm like, where in the hotel is Perth? I really didn't know. <laughs> I'd heard of Sydney and yeah. you know, Melbourne. So, I get out my atlas, and I realize that it is as far from Buckhannon, West Virginia, pretty much as you can get on the globe, all the way on the Indian Ocean, the western coast of Australia. So I headed off there one early morning in February because their school year is different. Their seasons are different in Australia. And hopped on a plane. I really I had flown one time in my life. So here was this this little girl, <laughs> if you will, um, headed off. And I met up with other exchange students in Los Angeles, and they flew us over there, and I went from the snow to very hot, very hot, and settled into life there. And that's a whole nother story. For sure. All the whole year there, the adventures, the people, the families. Yeah. It was just one of those experiences that really don't ever end. In fact, a never-ending story. How did, you, how did your parents feel about sending their 16-year-old off like that? I told them, and they said, okay, how, how are you going to pay for the plane ticket? I mean, that would always be my father's very practical. And, yeah. and this is a story. My grandfather, who was a retired Methodist minister, you know, they didn't have much money. But every time my mother gave him a haircut or on our birthdays, he would slip one or two $1 bills into a National Geographic or give it to mom to put in our bank account. Mm -hmm. And she had done that from the time I was born into this savings account. And when it came to pay for that plane ticket, it was within about $20 cool. of what I had <laughs> in that bank account. Yes. Cool. And then the Rotary paid for, of course, your host family paid right. for all your meals and lodging. And, and the Rotary Club gave you a, a weekly allowance. Uh -huh. So... That's a really cool thing, though, to have done. Absolutely. I didn't have that much um, courage or gumption when I was 16. 
Most people didn't even know I existed when I was 16. <laughs> you were shy? Yeah. Oh. I was quiet. Actually, I was, I was a little bit shy yeah. in some respects. Yeah. But sometimes the longing can be the impetus right. that, that just gets you going. That was awesome, though. You'll have to give us a picture from your time. Oh, you, okay. And I'll show you. Oh, I have. Show notes. All right. Yeah. I think Lots of pictures. To do. Yes. All right. So that's what story is to us so far. And uh, while I'm thinking about uh, a little sweet, when I'm knitting, I listen to pod or I listen to podcasts sometimes, and sometimes I listen to books on tape. And um, because you know I'm sitting by myself, and um, I don't really want to watch something, so I listen to something. So everything I make, I kind of connect to a story. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, because I've listened to a story. So when I pick up something, uh, I made a shawl last winter, and I pick it up, and I think, oh, I, I remember the story or the book I was listening to. So I'm listening to, I'm making a, a sweater for our friend Kathleen, St. Kathleen, and I'm working on the back now, then the first, the two sides. That is a beautiful color. Yeah, she picked the color, I dyed it, and then I uh, spun the yarn, and um, I'm making a little sweater in moss stitch for her, and I'm making it up as I go along. I think we talked about that a little bit last week. And I'm listening to a book called Caleb's Crossing by Geraldine Brooks. And I'm about three quarters of the way through it, and I'm really enjoying it a lot. It's uh, told in a uh, first person by a young woman who is uh, in the Massachusetts colony in the 1600s, thereabouts. And her, all the things she goes through, and it points up a lot about the place of women and the problems of women in uh, colonial times and Native Americans and, and how hard things really were. I have people. that book on my bookcase uh -huh. and have not read it. And I loved March yeah. and people of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Her, she's an incredible writer. And yeah. it seems like everything that she does is so different. Mm -hmm. But she really researches it. You feel like you are slogging around through the dregs of Cambridge. <laughs> well, remember the start of March. Yeah. In that book, it was a Civil War battle scene. Yeah. And that was such a vivid scene, I recognized it instantly. Oh, from yeah. the description, even before I knew where, because it was a horrific occurrence mm -hmm. in the Civil War. And I knew immediately what she was talking about. And I'm not that big a Civil War scholar, but I do know some of the things. And I knew exactly what, uh, the very place that it happened in, mm. in Virginia. Mm. It was a real tragedy. So she's a wonderful writer, Geraldine Brooks. We'll do a, a link to uh, Caleb's Crossing. And this is a book on tape, or a book on tape. They call them audiobooks <laughs> now. I'm an old woman, an old-fashioned <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's an audio book, and I really enjoyed it. The reader is very very good. That makes a difference. It does, yeah. And you are working on. Oh yes, I am working on a talk that I'm giving this coming Wednesday night for the Homestead Postcard Club. We meet 
each month, the second Wednesday of the month, we have about 40-some members, and we take turns doing the programs. And it's my turn. And I was going to do it on um, Calvin Coolidge Revisited. Calvin's my man, and I, of course, I have a lot <laughs> we'll of have posts. to talk about him someday. Yes, yes. Well, I realized after my latest eye surgery that I, I couldn't scan that many postcards. So, I decided to do a program called Postcards 101, and that will basically go over how you date postcards that from the beginning. Mm -hmm. From the 1890s, you, you start with those into real photographic ones, the ones during the heyday, um, white borders, then into linens and moderns and chromes and continentals. And, yeah. you know, there's quite a few. People sometimes look at you like you're doing magic when I can pick up a stack of postcards and just immediately sort them into their age. Sure. And they're, they think, how can you do that? And you can spot a fake right away. Well, when you grow up handling postcards your whole life, and once you know the basics, then you don't think twice about it. I yeah. can do it and hold a conversation. Sure. That's kind mm -hmm. of like I can look at a document and tell by the writing. Uh, yes. You know, about, or, and the paper. Mm hmm You know, about when it was, uh, and you, there's a little bit more fluidity to that because different people learn different um, different manners of writing. But you can you can get pretty close just by yes. looking at how it's, uh, copper plate or whatever, how it's written. And on the back of postcards, sometimes the style of cursive yeah. mm -hmm. can be a real indication. Yeah. So, so anyway, so yeah, we, we're staying busy. The, um, the shop has been busy. This is the end of Labor Day weekend. So we've been insane. I'm not even going to talk about how busy we were at <laughs> Nancy's Candy Company. But people were very, 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 um, around. There were a lot of people. Gas prices are low. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people in town. So, um. Of course, they were attending Hillsville flea market. Yeah, some a lot of them were. Of them. Yeah, some of them were. Some some people were saying they were going toward Hillsville and they didn't really intend to get there. Uh, I heard that the most people ever got, or the most people ever attended, it was like half a million. Whoa! So, Isn't yeah. that amazing? The small little this town. tiny little town. And uh, what Hillsville probably has, I don't know, three, four, five thousand people. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and uh, that, yeah, that, that's what I heard. Now I, I don't have confirmation, but I heard that half a million people went this year. Over the four, they had. four days. Over the to, four or five days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's insane. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. So nobody here goes toward Hillsville. That's west of here, about twenty-three miles, and we just don't go there on this weekend. <laughs> no. So, so anyway, that's a little sweet. We have a little tart. We're going to review a couple of things. And I have a book that I've just been dying to talk about. And um, since the subject is story, and we're always both, and I think we both came up with it independently, we're both always saying everyone has a story. And 
this is a story that I read recently. It was given to me by this uh, one of my stitching groups or loaned to me. It's by a man named Silas Terman, and he was a farmer out on the edge of the mountain in the, what we call the Bellspur area, and he wrote a book about his life, and he called it Forever Grateful. Oh, nice title. Lovely title. Lovely book. And well-written. And uh, I was enchanted with it. I just sat down here the day after Benita gave it to me and read it straight through all day long. I, I did not put it down. And, of course, I recognized some of the names of the people that he was talking about, which might made it a little bit more interesting to me. Uh, but it was just a really sweet story of a man of faith and his life. Now, what years did he He live? was born in 1920. Okay. And I can't remember exactly when he died, but he um, died about 10, 12 years ago, maybe a little longer. He was disabled for the last years of his life, and I think that's why he decided to write the book. He raised several children up on the side of the mountain. He was a dairy farmer and uh, had a lovely wife, his, the love of his life, Marie, and um, tells all about uh, meeting her and kind of waiting for her to grow up and <laughs> she was a bit younger than him and his military service and um is his wife still alive she passed away last year okay yeah yeah she passed away um his uh children still live basically in the area he has one daughter still down on Bellspur, and um then i'm sure there's several grandchildren and but yeah, yeah, poor Marie, we lost her last year. Okay. Yeah, she's a delightful person. But it, it's just a, a wonderful story. A lot of these books, when I, I read them, I enjoyed the childhood ones, and then they go off to the military, and I don't like them so much. Mm -hmm. But this one was enchanting all the way through. It really was interesting, the entire book. So it's, uh, it's on Amazon.com. Uh, I think it's in paperback, maybe like $8.00 or thereabouts. His name's Silas Terman, and Forever Grateful, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Wow, that's really great. Now, what kind of writing style had he, he gone through high school, or what? Yeah, he went through uh, high school. I can't remember if he totally finished, um, because, you know, when he went to school, was um, they had consolidated, I think, to, um, to the school he went to school out here and then he went to medicine dan and he played uh, basketball i think and um i can't remember if he finished got all the way through or not but um it's a very straight of straightforward um uh, simple style but um not you know nothing negative about it well yeah. how nice yeah it's just a nice nicely written and very enjoyable pretty fast paced and and he he kind of reveals some things about, I guess inadvertently about the relationships between men and women in the mountains, are kind of interesting, <laughs> because we're not we're not a we're not a demonstrative people, uh, in our particular neck of the woods, uh, you know you don't see people walking around hanging over young or older people you don't see them hanging all over each other and stuff but i mean i was surrounded by people that loved each other and i knew it and you know it would be like a, a little sneak uh, they might sneak and hold hands for a minute or 
or exchanging looks or whatever. But Silas and Marie apparently had some um, kind of physical wrestling battles. And <laughs> she would take his clothes away and leave him in the middle of a cornfield. and <laughs> Teasing? Yeah, yeah, they were really teasing and really, really, really interesting. And, and I can picture that in a lot of mountain people in a way. They, their, their way of showing affection is different. And um, it's kind of hard to describe. Well, I'm just going to have to read the book. You'll have to read the book. <laughs> yes. I bet you have one. Oh, of course I yeah. do. I have a book. It's one of my favorites. It's called Had a Good Time, Stories from American Postcards. And the author is Robert Olin Butler. He is a Pulitzer Prize winning author uh, from Florida, lives down there. And I'll tell you how I first found out about this book. I was sitting on my front porch up here in Metazidan listening to NPR. It was about 11 in the morning and I was sorting postcards which is what I do lots of time. Have a box and I'm sorting, pricing, sleeving, all that. And all of a sudden, this book came on, interviewing Robert Olin Butler and talking about how he found old postcards in like antique shops and he would, they're, they're pictures, real photo postcards, and he would take the back writing on it which was very simple sometimes here's an example he had um, this was being sent to uh, mrs sadie yankee in edgar nebraska on december 24th 1910 and it shows a picture of a man standing out with his horses and uh, in front of a shed my dear Gally, G-A-L-L-I-E, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. This is my barn. Am hugging my saddle horse. Best thing I have found in South Dakota to hug. Am sending you a trifle with this. With love, Abba. Now that's all you've got. Right. Now, people sent real photo postcards because back then you could take pictures. You had a special camera and you could take them and process them and they were postcards. So people had people bought individual yes. cameras mm -hmm. themselves. Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. So obviously that's what he did. Mm -hmm. So now Mr. Butler, the author, took that card and then wrote a short story called Christmas 1910. Oh, cool. And, and made up, I mean, you know, this is all fiction yeah. from, from that point on, and wrote up a whole story about brothers and papa, and there's a Caleb in this one, and they're just wonderful. Mm -hmm. And he has, um, you know, about a dozen or so. Yes, by using the old postcards. Well, a little aside to this particular book review, I thought, well, you know, I've never called up a radio show. They right. said, you know, please call in if you have comments. It was a big show out of Boston. Yeah. 
And I thought, well, why not? So I took the phone. I called the number they said. Lo and behold, a, a woman answered, and she was the screener. And she said, all right, tell me about you and postcards. I said, well, I'm sitting here sorting them right now. She said, well, do you have many? And I <laughs> said, well, about 50,000. She paused and she said, you hold. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing I knew, I was on national oh. radio talking with Mr. Butler. And um, cool. And the interviewer happens to be a BBC Mm -hmm. correspondent and he he was the one and we had the nicest chat and but he said tell me a story from your postcards cool so i told him about this collection of about 25 postcards i had found at a, a house sale up in west virginia and it was all these postcards from a man named edwin to a Miss Nellie Ludwig in Germantown, Pennsylvania. And Edwin was going to school, to medical school, I believe, in Baltimore at the time. Mm -hmm. And they span about three or four years. Wow. And they're wonderful. He draws pictures on them. They are, he, he has poetry. I mean, he is the suitor every woman oh. desires. Absolutely, just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. So, when I was going through these postcards, I found some because I had all of Miss Nellie Ludwig's side of things. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the one she sent to well, him. Of course, yeah. Well, I went through and she had written a postcard to her mother in about 1925. And she said, oh, we're having a nice time at the beach. The children are enjoying playing in the sand. Much love, Nellie and Bob. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh. No. She and Edwin, oh. what happened? I mean, what a love story over years. So, I had to invent my own story Absolutely. that Edwin went off to World War I no. and Edwin was killed yeah. in France because that is the only possible reason he would yeah. not have been with Nellie. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, I told yeah. that story okay. on the radio, and, and they thought that was pretty cool. That was, yeah. sure. <laughs> awesome. I'll have to give you especially one of these that is nice that maybe you can scan to yeah. put on our, our web page. Yeah, yeah, we'll put it on the uh, show notes. We're going to do a better job on show notes this time. So, on show notes? Yeah, that's called show notes. That's what they, you know, the, the links and the things that we've been talking about. And I got kind of crazy busy last week and just threw something up there. But we'll do better this time. Well, it looks nice, but yeah. if you say it needs to be better, then it will be better. We will yeah. work on that. Yep. Yeah. So we've done a little sweet. Are we finished with a little tart? I think so. Okay. Then we need to be a little unexpected. Oh. And I think you have something unexpected. Unexpected? Yeah. Don't you have something unexpected? Well, I was going to read just a little one-page story. Would I you think, like me to I do that? I think you should do that. 
Okay. And I will think of something else unexpected. Okay. <laughs> this is from a book called The Stories of a West Virginia Doctor by Harold D. Almond, M.D. Your dad. My dad. Yeah. And dad wrote this book um, right after my mother died, and he was 80 years old. He wrote it in 1997. Of course, he had been telling a lot of these stories for years, and it actually went into four printings. Yeah. So it had 16,000 copies, and we're getting down to the bottom of the boxes That's with awesome. this one. Isn't that neat? Mm -hmm. It's a pretty book. You see it's the lovely. cover? I'll, let you, I'll leave you a copy. This is the mm -hmm. road in front of the house where I grew up, yeah. and it's a photograph that Mother had taken. I love these um, that type of grass. I don't know what it's called. Mm -hmm. We'll put a picture of it on the show notes, too. And there's Mom and Dad and one of our collie dogs. Oh, we yeah. always had collie dogs. Yeah. So. yeah, those collie dogs have some stories, too. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. As I said, if you came into my house and knocked on the door, it'd be like, come on in. And Dad said, have a seat right at the kitchen table, and he'd put on the coffee pot, and before you know it, he was telling you stories. And they might have been ones you'd heard before, but that's, that's okay. People were always so nice to Daddy yeah. and sit and listen. And he started writing them down in longhand on a legal pad. And then, of course, we had somebody type them up and get them to the printers. But this story, and they're all tales of doctoring, pretty much. And I always like this one. It's called Getting an Eraser Out of Her Nose. The ten-year-old girl had lost the rubber eraser of her pencil up her right nostril. Her mother tried to get it out with a small pair of tweezers, but had only succeeded in pushing the rubber tip further up her daughter's nose. The little girl wanted to go see her doctor, so the mother and child arrived at the office. The rubber tip was far up the right nostril. I told the mother we could try a simple method to get it out. She blocked off her daughter's left nostril and blew as hard as she could into the girl's mouth. Out popped the rubber tip, much to the surprise of the little girl. She looked at me and said with a smile, Now you are not going to charge me, are you? My mother did all the work. No, I said with amusement, you owe your mother. Come back when I can help you. When the blast of air goes through the patient's mouth with a sudden burst, the patient automatically closes her glottis and pharynx, and the blast of air comes out the other nostril. This method can only be tried once, as children do not want to be experimented on but one time. There is no pain and no mess, and it is over in a second. After I helped my little patient get the eraser out of her nose, I started thinking about just what wonderful little machines our noses are. The best furnace in Upshur County during this past winter of zero weather was your nose. This unit worked well. It took in zero degree air, moved it through your nasal tissue, 
tissue and converted it instantly to 98.6 degrees. God did this for you 18 times per minute. In addition, the humidity of the air was changed to 80% and impurities were removed. You could also smell Christmas odors at all degrees of temperature. God also uses the same nasal tissue in summer when the temperature is over 100 degrees. Hot air runs through the nose air conditioner to be reduced to 98.6 degrees. The beauty of this useful machine is that it costs nothing for us to operate if we take good care of it. Cool. Yeah, how about I that? I would have never thought of <laughs> that being a way to rescue a child. Isn't that something? Wow. Doctors back then, and this would have been, I know that who this little girl is, and she is now a chaplain at a college yeah. that I went to, as a matter of fact, in yeah. Pennsylvania. And 10 years, and she was a couple old. So this was in the early, uh, late, late 60s. Right. And so doctors had tricks like that. They used what knowledge they had. Sure. But I'm not so sure a doctor or anyone would do that now. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking of. I mean, it's, it's the simplicity is elegant mm -hmm. of the solution. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know if that would happen. Yes. <laughs> and Dad likes to teach, in case you couldn't tell. Yeah. So a lot of his stories no. go into a teaching mode. But nothing wrong towards with that. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. Everybody has a story. Absolutely. Yeah. So what else do we have for unexpected? Really? To do? Let's see. The unexpected. We probably don't want to go into a lot of things that have been happening lately. <laughs> but, uh, hmm. It's becoming fall, and that's unexpected to me. The pumpkin people have been uh, gathering pumpkins all week. Is that right? They're yeah. all ripe and ready? Well, I'm not sure, but they, there's lines out the window. Looking out the window, there's lines of pumpkins that they have, um, you know, stacked, ready to go. Did so, you carve pumpkins when you were growing up? I don't think we did. I don't remember. The, I don't remember Halloween as being a especially big deal. I, uh, I think... We got like um, we went down to Grandma's. We each got a costume from the dime store. Right. You know, it's like I was a princess for four or five years, I think. And uh, uh, we'd go down to Grandma's and they'd give us some candy, but we didn't like go trick or treating uh, until we moved to Skirt and we're teenagers. And so yeah, I don't remember. Would you dress out. dress up and go to school? And do a school parade. We always no. did that. Nope. You'd walk, march all the way around the block. The whole school. Everyone in their Halloween outfit. I don't remember doing anything. I don't remember doing anything for... The only thing I remember is maybe there was a little Christmas thing. And in Valentine's Day, we had to give everybody a Valentine. Oh, yes. With the shoeboxes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, you bought those little... Um, sheet ones and cut them out and signed them and everybody got a valentine 
We would make pumpkins, usually. It was always messy and gooey and newspapers on the kitchen table and getting the seeds out. We had had pumpkins because I remember Grandpa taking them to the cannery. Oh, yes. We had a community cannery, and they um, canned them there. And then they came back with all these tin cans with no labels. (laughs) (laughs) And there was all these... um, you know, the shelves and shelves and shelves of pumpkins that uh, they had canned up. So they had pumpkin. I'm not, I guess they grew them. We would eat baked pumpkin. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mom would cut it into big chunks and mm-hmm. bake it in the oven. A little maybe parboiling. I'm not a cook, but yeah. I think that's what you call maybe. a little water yeah. in the pan. And then put butter and brown sugar or maple syrup. Yeah, I don't remember anything on that. like that. I remember lots of pumpkin pies and um, stuff like that. But but yeah, maybe I was a peculiar little kid. There may have been a lot of stuff I just wouldn't eat. Well, that that wasn't <laughs> necessarily an option when you had seven True. seven people you were yeah. feeding every night, and if somebody gave dad pumpkins or squirrels or rabbit or venison or trout whatever they'd give dad we'd eat it we'd eat it mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely and some yep. things you liked better than others right now my mother established early on with dad's patients and he told them all that anything they gave us we appreciated but lois said it couldn't have a head on it no eyes. So they would always dress them and right. bring them to us ready to cook. Yeah. Well, that was good. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I remember a lot of fish when we were kids and some venison and stuff like that. And lots and lots of vegetables. So I'm mm. sure there were... My grandparents had a, a garden that was like, I don't know how big the field is, but it was like the entire field across from my house was a garden. Oh yes. When we were kids. So. And they were feeding well us so somewhat and their two children and themselves. So with you know, there were quite a few people involved. Yes, now people have community gardens. Yeah. That's such a great idea. Yeah, have friends who and... have spots down in Stewart and mm-hmm. back home in West Virginia. And, and in... the farmer's market is such a great thing. <sighs> I never get, really get a chance, but there's a farmer's market in Stewart, and then there's one in Floyd as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of local people bring their produce there, and it is tremendous. Yes, it is. Yeah, a really good thing. Mm. So buy local. Yes, that gives us the option. Yep, it's a good option. We were talking about uh, Barbara Kingsolver's book, uh, I Always Mess This Up, Vegetable, Miracle, Animal... Animal, Vegetable, Miracle? I think so. Something. I'm sorry. I'll figure it out for the right... (laughs) That is my favorite book she ever read. Is that right? I love Mm. that book. I liked it a lot, too, yeah. and we got to hear her speak at Floyd High School right. on that book, and that, that was great. But that whole idea of, not, of trying to not eat anything that came from further than 100 miles right. of her home in southwestern Virginia, mm-hmm. there were a couple exceptions, like coffee. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. but we actually did that for a year, Ron and I, and... Um, the only thing we did buy 
I think was chicken that mm -hmm. might not have been local, but we bought it at the local store. Right. So, because he loved chicken. And um, I, I went almost ve totally vegetarian. We raised a garden ourselves, and then I would go, I was going to the farmer's market and spinning as a demonstration, and I would buy things down there. We saved so much money. Mm -hmm. Everybody says eating like that is expensive, but it was a lot cheaper. And we both lost a lot of weight. I remember. Yeah. I remember you know, that was... We did it for a year, and then I got lazy and didn't do it anymore. Well, and that is, I guess, the issue is yeah. that you have to cook. You have to prepare yeah, and chop and to, clean. And you have to think things through, you know. It's, uh, of course, I froze a lot of stuff, and that uh, lasted. I had two big gardens, and I froze a lot of stuff, and then my freezer died. So I, I lost a lot of that a couple of years ago. And uh, I never have gotten into the canning. My mother no. cans, but I never really got into canning. I did all freezing. But it, it was really nice to go in there and find a big thing of Brussels sprouts in the middle of the winter and cook them up. Yeah, I love Brussels sprouts. I'm sorry. She's making faces. Mm, no, no, no. <laughs> And broccoli? No, no, no. Those two, no. those two things you picked. Yeah. No, no, no. If you had said sweet corn and yeah, applesauce and Yeah, but and we green ate the sweet corn. We just and, ate it. Yeah. You know, because I don't have a big enough um, area to really do, so we just ate the sweet corn right off. And green beans. I had tons and tons of green beans. We would freeze growing up. My mother didn't can. The only thing she would can would be. Like apple, fresh apple cider, some fresh Concord grape yeah. juice, and jellies and jams yeah. and pickles. Yeah. But other than that, everything went into the old wax um, milk cartons. Mm -hmm. So you'd we have pint quarts, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, I remember Grandma freezing in those. Now that you mention it, because mm -hmm. they. I just, you know, you can buy those little things, but they didn't have a lot of money, money. You could right. buy the little, so she would uh, freeze some stuff, but mostly she canned. And mostly mama cans, but my mom cans a beef, I mean, or half a beef, mm -hmm. or a quarter of a beef every year uh, that they get locally. So well, it's possible to do. Yes, and that's, uh, those are good skills to have. Yeah, absolutely. So what else? we got going. It's about 46 minutes. Oh my goodness. I think we better let these people go. Okay. <laughs> All right. So next time the word of the day is going to be journey. Journey. That should be interesting. And so uh, the show notes are at quincepodcast.com. Um, last time I did put some music on, um, I will credit that on the show notes. Um, we're getting that from a place called ccmixer.com. Uh, and uh, eventually we hope to have some better, but we're really enjoying what we're getting right now. And I guess that is it. Wonderful. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.